Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul argues that trying to do right all the time is an exercise in futility. Not that we should give up on good behavior, but we should not consider it necessary for acceptance into the kingdom of God. When our own action is the central hero of our lives, we will find ourselves in cycles of incapacity, shame, and sin, a path that leads to spiritual death. The only way to avoid this cycle is a life of faith, to trust and hope in Jesus, to believe in Him and all that He has done, and do our best in response, moving out of acceptance rather than toward it. He actually says that in chapter 8 overtly he says therefore and he's we'll go back and talk about what the therefore is therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus okay so these guys what they're using is condemnation to get control Mm -hmm. when someone condemns you you tend to want to appease them to make Mm -hmm. the condemnation go away Mm -hmm. that's a control mechanism you will be tempted to do that as a mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you want to be accepted. You want to belong. You want, and you want your kids to affirm you. Mm-hmm. And as parents, what you want to do is none of that. You want, you want to give them total unconditional acceptance. Like nothing, I'll never threaten to reject you in any way. Uh, but I do want you to understand that your choices have consequences, mm-hmm. and good choices have good consequences, and bad choices have bad consequences. And you have agency, and you can't really blame anybody but yourself. I want you to understand that. And I want you to know the difference between a good choice and a bad choice when you leave, and you're going to make your own decisions, which is absolutely going to happen. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if you have that as a, a there for your, for your child, your children, and, and you're going to uh, enforce that you know, or reinforce that with the way you live, you're doing the best you can. And they may still make bad choices, but, you know. God, God has a bunch of human children. A lot of them made bad choices. So. Yes, we'd be in good company. You'd be in good company <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, I have a I have a son who's a he's almost made from the same mold I am. So he therefore he's as hard headed as I am. But I'm an older brother profile, so I'm a condemner and a and a uh, rule maker and a comparer by by nature. He's the product. He's the he's the prodigal that went and did the want wanton lifestyle by nature so that's a material difference that we have and he's told me multiple times that uh, leaving with the clear understanding that the consequences are all on you and the consequences of sin are really negative and severe that's the only thing that held him back he said I really wanted all that stuff really bad and I just knew it would it would be catastrophic, and I had no one to blame. He said, "If you had tried to control me in any way, I know myself, I would have gone into all that stuff and blamed you." Mm. <laughs> well, and, you know, the the parenting analogy I think is really great because, uh, again, to give the bad guys in this story a little bit of credit, I, I think some of this comes from the good intended mindset of. This is, you know, this is for their own good. You know, parents will say about their kids, like, I've got to put, you know, I've got to basically make choices for them for their own good. To and protect continue, them from bad choices. To protect mm-hmm. them. Otherwise, they're, you know, they're not, and including, I mean, we work at a college campus. We have parents that are still 
making the decisions for their students and into adulthood because it's like, well, this is for their own good. They, you know, they can't make this choice for yeah, themselves. It's, it's to protect them from consequences that mm-hmm. they don't want their children to experience because they don't want their children to experience pain. But pain is actually a very good teacher. <laughs> what you want to do is put a boundaries on the mm-hmm. pain so that hopefully it's not permanent damage. Mm-hmm. You know, but if a kid never falls, how are they ever going to learn the importance of balance? Mm-hmm. You just don't want them to fall and break their neck. You know, fall from six inches, not ten feet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's and that's what God does for us. He puts boundaries. In fact, when God, when um, when Paul opens his his opening statement, now we can go back to the opening statement some here because we now know the good guys are the Roman believers. They've got Jewish leadership who believe that uh, the gospel is real, that, that acceptance is wholly given, uh, but that the importance of walking by faith, there's a reason to walk by faith, a good reason. Um, they're the good guys. The bad guys are the ones that say um, approval and acceptance are all in one bundle. And since we can't do that, I'll substitute by you follow my rules that I don't follow myself. So we have, we have that story pretty well set. So here, his opening statement of, of to these Gentile believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world is, like, the gospel is power to deliver us from the negative consequences of sin, both, both by believing and being delivered from the penalty of sin, which is a one-time event being born into his family, and on an ongoing basis. And I think this is what the... That's pretty clear that these Jewish... Uh, in the these Jewish uh, bad guys, they are making rules that they don't follow themselves, right? That he makes that pretty clear. So they're not escaping. They have the illusion of escaping, which is always the way this works. It's always an illusion. But he says here, he says, the righteous man shall live by faith. So that's the theme. You, if you want to be righteous, you live by faith. You don't make rules. You live from the heart. And then he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Now, did he, did he put a subset in there and say some? It's all, right? Mm-hmm. Did he say unbelieving? No, it's everyone. It's everyone, all right? And do we all, have we all experienced that when we as believers do something unrighteous, there's negative consequences? Absolutely. <laughs> well, and as we've already talked about, this includes himself. He doesn't, not even giving himself an out here, right? He's in this boat along with everybody else. That's right. Now, he does, he does talk about unrighteous men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness and talks about people that know God, they don't acknowledge him as God, but as we've seen, he's going to end up putting us all in this in this bucket. We're all this way. He starts off with basically the, what these guys were, these Gentiles were before they came to faith, right? They know God because you can see God all around you. You ignore it. And he says, even though they knew God through nature, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Who of us I haven't done that. You know, I have my own, I'm going to follow my own way instead of God's way. I mean, that's a, that's a daily challenge, right? Professing to be wise, they became fools. Who of us haven't done that? Mm-hmm. 
So, and when we do that, we exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for man, usually us. And in this case, he's saying the form of uh, corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures because in their culture, they would use idols as an excuse for self-worship. We just do it direct. We cut out the middleman in our <laughs> world. Right. So then he says, therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. So the first negative, there's a three-step process here of what happens when we, when we fall into unrighteousness, believer or unbeliever. Okay? Uh, if we pursue lust, God initially says no. He doesn't let us have it, which is hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I've thought back in my life of places where I started down that road and God blocked it, and I'm so grateful. absolutely but if you insist he'll eventually let you have it so step one is give you over to your lust 20 verse 26 for these reasons god gave them over to degrading passions so now your lust becomes an addiction okay you can't do without it and fill in the blank whatever it is sexual drugs uh fame affirmation materialism you know we we are very creative as people as finding ways to be <laughs> things to be addicted yeah, to just well, and degrading is like going down further and further and further you're not like it's sin is fun until it's not fun anymore and then you just like realize you're at the bottom of this pit that's right and then the third step is um that you stop, you continue to stop, not acknowledge God. I, I can do this myself. Uh, God gave them over to a depraved mind, and I mean, eventually you get to the point where you just the things that you actually care about you're harming, mm-hmm. and you can't even think straight anymore. This is the progression. So what Paul has done right off the bat is give you ample reason not to go into sin, even though you can. And he, and he says you can very deliberately. I mean, he says, uh, and this is in 521, the law came in so the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. He, he gives that as a definitive statement. That's what, the, that's what the bad guys in this thing are so bothered about. More sin, more grace. He asserts that. Mm-hmm. Really, yes. Is that true? Yes. Can you sin after you become a new a new creation in Christ? Yes. Yes. I, you know how I know that? Because I do. Every day. <laughs> Most of it, I would say, I'm unaware of. And then as my sanctification process has been gradually becoming aware of things that I've been doing all along, that mm-hmm. God is just kind of revealing it's like a little at a time it's almost like if he showed me all at once i'd just fall over dead Mm. yeah what just as a quick aside but could could you give an example of what like an unintentional sin separation from god if we're defining sin that way would look like well um i mean self-rationalization i lived many many years uh thinking that I was improving my flesh little by little. And when I would make a mistake, I would say to myself, uh, well, that, that was a mistake, but I would never do that again. I actually had a voice inside that would say that. I'm okay now. Well, that's wrong. 
that's sinful. It's, it's, that is something that's not true. When you, you know, sin is living something that's not true. And I was telling myself untruths all the time. Parent to me now, I didn't know it at the time. And then God kind of said, it's time for you to learn this. And it was debil- I, I was actually just, um, I was broken as a result of coming to grips with that. It was, it was a horrible two years that I went through because I felt like such a failure. Mm. You know why I felt like I was a failure? Because you couldn't keep your own rule book? Well, because I was a failure. Yeah, I mean, it was, I was not keeping my own rule book. I was not living up to my own standards. And it became this thing that he accused them of and then said, yeah, me too. Well, I, I, I came to an a, a awareness of that. And, um, you know, First John uh, says this overtly. Well, let's just go to it real quick. It's, uh, I think, incredibly uh, encouraging. He says, if we walk in the light, this is First John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, okay? So we, have, we see light, we walk in the light. We're not walking in darkness. We have, one, fellowship with one another. So that's great, right? That we want fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, what do we have? Fellowship and sin. If we say we have no sin, next verse, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So when we're walking in the light... The things we can't see, Jesus just takes care of that. Don't worry about that. As things come into the light and we become aware of it, we can confess it, and then he cleanses that. If something comes into the light and we don't deal with it, now we got a problem. And now that's when fellowship's going to be broken, our joy won't be complete, and we're going to start down this path of being given over to our lust if we don't deal with it. Uh, that's incredibly encouraging, right? Deal with what you know. We'll get to the uh, we'll get to the rest later. But it's also a warning. Better deal with what you know. <laughs> yeah, take responsibility. Take responsibility. Exactly so. So back to Romans, and we've looked at this um, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He makes that as a definitive statement in at the end of uh, chapter five. And he says, so that, this is, that was 520, then 521 says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace may reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So because we have believed, eternal life is flowing through us. It's amazing. Next thing you get then is one of the key objections. What then shall we say? So here's another objection. When you see that, what then shall we say? You're getting an objection. Shall we continue in sin that grace may be abound? You can see how that argument would would fly. Certainly a good self. Well, see, hang on a second here. Sin is fun. Sin is good. Sin is what I really want. If I sin, then grace covers it. So that does God a favor and it does me a favor. What's not to like? Great self-rationalization. Paul answers, certainly not. Okay, why? Is it because you're going to lose your acceptance? No. 
how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You've, you've died to sin. Why would you want to go back into something that's not good for you? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And then he goes on to say, sin brings death. The, the consequences or wages of sin is death. And that's written to believers. Now, you can use it for unbelievers too. It's true of everybody. But that's actually, a, that's actually written in the, in the context of answering the question, should we continue to sin? Not can we. What's the answer to can we? Absolutely, yes. yeah. Should we? Is that something we ought to embrace and rationalize? No, because the consequences of sin is death. Yeah, it brings you all the way back to Romans 1, the degradation and the depraved mind. And, and death is separation, and, and you go through that progression in Romans 1. What mm -hmm. is the separation? The separation is from the deeper passion that you have rather than just this appetite, the, the desire to be whole and one and at fellowship with that. It destroys all those things. It mm -hmm. separates you from everything you truly want. It separates you from everything that's in your best interest. That's number one. Number two is it's freed you from this flesh that wants to control you and from all these rule makers that want to control you. Why, having been freed, do you want to go back into slavery again? You know, think you're a, you're a slave on a galley ship, you know, rowing all day long every day, and somebody comes and unshackles you and says you can go. And a week later you say, hey, I kind of miss rowing. I'm going to go back and and." row some more yeah. you know that's what you're doing when you do that why would you can you yes of course but what okay so let's just rephrase this paul is saying so you're asking me well can i have death and slavery well yeah do you want death and slavery who wants instead of life and freedom is that what you really want well no i don't want that well then don't do that if you don't want it then don't choose it that's basically his argument. Yeah, which is a, a kind of a paradigm-shifting uh, conversation, right? Because I, even in modern, even modern Christianity, I think we have this idea that sin is the fun stuff. It's what I really want to do with my life. And when I become a Christian, or when I submit my life to Christ, I've, I've got to leave Give behind all, that up. all the things I really want, and I've got to be obedient to you know these things that I really just like don't want to. That aren't you know aren't of any interest to me aren't any fun, and I just have to like obligatory drag myself into this path and what Paul is and so that's why these questions these accusations are coming up right like well if yeah it's a win-win proposition if you have the paradigm that sin is fun and the more you sin the more grace is given to you, uh, but if you take a true paradigm which is sin is death and destruction then it's not a win-win anymore. It still is a win for Christ. For, for God, he's always going to end up winning. But for you, it's, it's death and destruction. So you can choose that, but understand it in the proper paradigm. That's right. And, and Paul goes into a, kind of an inner psychology in, in chapter 7 of himself. And he says, well, let me, let me just talk about me for a minute. Here's what happened to me. He says in verse 18, 718, he says, and this was, this was a key passage for me in coming to grips with my own internal problem that I talked about a second ago. He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Whoa. Now, 
that that's what I was not. That's what was I thought I was doing pretty good in my flesh. Self justification. Yes. Yeah. And I was getting a little better every day. Certainly better than other people. Okay. Now, I, I was. It was. I was. God had not shown that to me. Probably got more. Pretty pretty confident. More things are coming. Okay. You deal with what you have. But once once that came to me, it was such a profound um, sense of failure. But not only that, it was like I, I had lived with this self justification for forty years and was very comfortable with it. And I actually had to rip rip myself, my own my own paradigm of who I was away from that. And it was uh, going through a death. There was a there was a real death. The putting to death for me looked like changing my own image of who I was and and the conversation around the table. It was now it was now this old thing that I used to justify is now has nothing good. It was a, it was a divorce. You know, I went through an internal divorce essentially. Mm-hmm. So then but Paul did too, apparently. For for the will is present, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good I will to do, I don't do. But the evil I will not to do, I practice. I keep finding myself doing this stuff. I don't really want to do this deep down, but I keep doing it. So if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer me doing it, but sin that dwells within me. So what he's really saying is, I'm a new creation in Christ. When I sin, I'm actually giving myself over to something that's dead. I'm I'm walking as a zombie. I don't want to be a zombie life. I want to be a live life. Yeah, we you know we work with college students, and I talk to a lot of the men, and what, what you're describing is exactly the way they talk about like a pornography addiction. They don't want to do it, and they get the thought or the temptation to do it, and they just like do it, and after, immediately feel terrible, mm-hmm. like as soon as it's as it's over. And it, they, every a hundred percent of the guys I talk to have this kind of a mindset of like how. Do I get rid of this thing? I just don't want to do. It's it's become it's gotten uh, you know you want to do it at some point. It's gotten enough attention and become enough of a habit that you're struggling to break it. But there is this sense of like I, I really don't want to do this. I don't feel good about this. This isn't good for me. How do I get out of this? This isn't good for me, but I like it, yeah. and that's why I keep going back to it. And really, the only way you can I would say the the starting place is. Uh, do you recognize that this thing that wants that wants this is going to destroy you? It's not you. Number one, that's not you. And number two, the goal of that thing is to destroy you. And when you can start separating yourself from that's actually not me, it changes. It I have found it changes your whole internal conversation in a, in a real major way. So then he, he concludes this, and he says, I find then a law that evil is present within me, okay, because I, I delight in the law of the God according to the inner, inward man, but in my members there's this law that wants to do everything right. And then he expresses what you just said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then his answer is Jesus Christ. So then he says, okay, then there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus 
And here's how you get out from under the condemnation. Because if you go back into sin, you go back into the condemnation from which you were delivered. How do, how do you do that? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that's your answer. How do you get, how do you get freed from this thing that's living within you that has nothing good dwelling? Walk in the Spirit. How do you do that? By faith. For the law of the Spirit of life, life in this is 8 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to do that anymore. I hear the voice, I feel the feeling, I, I hear the lie. Christ in me has given me the ability to say no to all that. And if I give into it, there's no condemnation. But when you feel the condemnation, there's a sense in which you have to give into it. It's, it's really ironic. But getting free from the condemnation, like, I can do that. I can do that. Jesus is still going to be fine with me. I find that freedom to know I can makes it where I don't have to. I agree. I, I'm looking at the verses as you're reading it. I was just looking at uh, the very end of chapter 7, and Paul says lays out that reality really succinctly. He says, So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And this is Paul. I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. Like, yeah. And I think we a lot of times have this idea of like, and I think this can be a feeder, a gateway into you know, active sin, habit, the baseline, all that, where we start to think, if I just have the thought, then I've, you know, I've lost because I'm supposed to not have this. I'm supposed to just be a spirit person. But Paul is saying, I have these two realities within me. What I have to do is make a choice. Yeah, and I, I used to have those thoughts and then justify them. You, you have to, if, if you think, if I have the thought I'm condemned, you have to justify yourself away from that. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you're going to do it. Once you, once you start justifying, you can justify anything, including doing it, right? Right. But what, what I've learned to do is I have the thought, the thought's not me, and I'll usually just uh, wrestle with that thought for a minute. To take it captive, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. What what would happen if I did that? Well, this would happen, then this would happen, and then death would happen. Do I really want to do that? I, no, I don't have to do that, but that thought's not me. But I could do that. And what I find is that going through that mental process of, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's something I could do. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's something I could do. It, would that be good for me? Would that result in something worthwhile? Uh, no. Okay, well then, do I want to do that? I, I find that to be very freeing. That's a real exercise in self-awareness, mm-hmm. um, which I think takes a lot of hard work and cultivation to get to the point where we can actually be aware enough that we are wrestling with this thing inside of us and slowing ourselves down enough to actually think about it and like engage with it and then let go of it. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, self, self-awareness self would be a good uh, description of, of what that brokenness period created in me. Mm-hmm. And the reason it was so difficult and I was broken is because 
I got to see myself some extent of what I was actually doing. And it wasn't just wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. And I'm a real moral guy. I mean, I've I've always I had a I had a guy a few years back call me that just say, you know, when you're in college, you you made a big impact on me because you weren't doing all the stuff all the rest of us were doing. And it just kind of showed me that, you know, I, there was another way. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I said, well, that's great, you know, but, you know, it was uh, on my side of the table, it was probably not all that great. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure if I was doing all that for the right reasons, but I certainly, I didn't, you know, I certainly avoided a lot of problems as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was always been a real moral guy, and and uh, you know, in terms of like uh, Paul's accusation against these guys, I, I'm I'm he might have had a hard time pinning that stuff on me, and then God come in and say, all right, you know, time to time to kind of show you uh, who you really are, and like, oh man, that was really that was really tough, but yeah. it's it it allowed me to say, okay, well let's just, you know, this thing that I thought was getting better is not, it's terrible. I just happened to have kind of a uh, more presentable version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's just be real about it. Yeah, I had the same kind of a experience where I was a pretty moral person, but uh, like, you know, especially out- outward facing. But a lot of these things are internal. And people might say something like, well, you're talking about to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, but from my side, it's like even the statement that you're just making is filling me with this, all this boasting and pride and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, feeling, and, you know, to be honest, to talk about the control thing, a lot of it for me was when I wasn't getting the things I wanted out of life, like just the circumstantial things like marriage, I was, you know, I was in early thirties when Kylie and I married. So in my twenties, it was just like, look, God, you kind of owe me. <laughs> I've been doing the like, you know, but that mindset speaks to, you know, kind of this, uh, but this is, but this, that's the, that's what these rules can create, yes. right? It can yes. create a sense of condemnation or a sense of entitlement. And mm-hmm. a, that's a lot of what the Pharisees are trying to do with Jesus is they're trying to get to a place where they're controlling the narrative so that they can be entitled to the, uh, to the blessings and to the power and to the control and to all of the things that our flesh wants. But Paul makes it. Paul makes it. One of the allegations he may he answers in this is, well, then is the law evil? Because that's. I mean, if if you're saying, well, you're not under the law, then a good allegation, a good a good uh, detraction that the opponents could have is, well, then you, the law must be evil. Mm-hmm. And Paul defends that, but he ends up saying, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled by those who walk in the Spirit, by faith. That's, that fulfills. The whole idea of the law was to get you to walk this right path. If you try to do it with, with rules, you set up, you set up uh, workarounds. Every rule, every law can have a workaround, a loophole. Mm. Any good lawyer can find a loophole, right? Mm. There's no way you can have loophole-free contracts. So that's what rules always lead to if your heart doesn't change. But if you're trying, mm-hmm. if you're trying, and that's what you're trying to do, God, that's good enough. God blesses that. That's interesting. Yeah, the rules rules are complicated because because of that reason. So even if you have, we have a rule, pretty strong rule, of you know murder. You can't murder. But what about if someone breaks into your home and there's self defense, or what if you're you know uh, in the army and you go off to a war? Like there there are these 
they have rules of engagement. They have like you can you can kill people under this and not under that, and then yeah, it gets complicated. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.